Good morning. I couldn't help but just be moved by that song we just sang. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to his. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. Do we hold to that? Is that what courses through our veins? Christ. Christ. I sometimes wonder if if I actually grasp what he has done for me. Truly, I wonder this. I worship him. There are times I feel his presence so greatly. He has fundamentally changed me. I know because I've lived with myself all my life. I've tried to run from myself much. But there are times I wonder, do I truly comprehend what gift he has given me and how intricately he is now bound with me? As Paul said, it is not I that live, but Christ lives in me. Surely I was dead. Surely we were dead until Christ came to live in us. Well, we're taking our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As you're turning there, I'd like to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day, Lord, another opportunity to gather together, to be refreshed and encouraged by one another, Lord, as, as we come together in your name and we lift up your name and worship, Lord, as we, as we come together, Lord, seeking your face. And as your word says, as we draw nigh to you, you draw nigh to us, Lord. And therefore, we are strengthened we are encouraged we are quickened we are made alive by your spirit i pray lord speak to us today lord as i often pray hide me in thy light and and let your word go forth lord let it be the holy spirit speaking not me but let it be the spirit of the living god delivering the word that the word would go forth lord and not return void but that it would accomplish all your will in us god that it would truly bring us to that place where we can recognize and receive that it is christ that lives in us and not us And we can do nothing except by your spirit, Lord. And that there is no way we will make it except you lead us, Father. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So to begin with, I want us to notice who Paul is speaking to. Who his audience is. And to do that, we have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we read in Verses 1 and 2, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours and ours. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the church of God. 
He's talking to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. He's talking to those who are saints by calling. He's talking to those who are all who are in every place who call upon the name of our Lord. And he, specific, he specifies it and says, their Lord and ours. So it's not that they are just calling upon the name of the Lord, but they are calling upon the name of the Lord because he is in fact their Lord. So who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians. Paul's talking to born-again believers who reside in a city of unbelievers. That's what Corinth is. The letter to the Corinthians, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and Corinth is an exceedingly sinful city. The city of Corinth was not unlike our modern towns and cities. It's not unlike Oak Ridge. It's not unlike Knoxville. What are we? What are cities today? Cities are commerce-driven, right? They're constantly striving to expand. They're filled with an eclectic mixture of culture, ethnicities, and moral characters. That's what cities are. All the while, Corinth and our cities today are steeped in the grossest degree of immorality. Let's be honest. We look around and that's what we see. We are bombarded by immorality at every hand. It's celebrated today. It's exalted today. It's, it's lifted up today. In fact, if you, are, if you do not practice a lifestyle of immorality to some degree, you are an outcast. You are different. The norm at Corinth had become a wholesale acceptance of utterly debauched behavior, unchecked depravity, and an almost complete indifference to virtue and integrity. And I don't think I exaggerate if I say that is the society we live in today. We are a church in the midst of a sinful nation, of a sinful world. Paul is writing to a people struggling. That's what this letter is. This letter is a series of corrections. This letter is a series of admonishments. This letter is a series of instructions on how to live because they're struggling. And you know what? We struggle too as Christians, as individuals, and as a body. We tend, there are times we struggle. We struggle in today's society. How do we cope with today's society? How do we walk in today's society? How do we function? We see this struggle in the church world. Some churches have opted to altogether compromise in an attempt to walk in society. Some have gone all the way to the degree of being so seeker-friendly that there's no difference between them and the world. One Corinthians calls for the Christian to separate themselves from the world. As Christians, we are required to reject sin, reject the wisdom of this world, to reject selfishness and self-exaltation. That's a challenge. Because we are, we are ensconced in this body, this tent, 
surrounds us. And so it, we can't help it that everything we do is, is viewed through the lens of self that, oh, it's for me. You know, I have to deal with me. It's about me. Uh, I, I can't stand the thing we see more and more today, how parents say, I need my me time. No, you brought children into the world. It's all about them. But more and more, it's me, me, me. And Christians, as Christians, we're not free from that struggle, though we should be, but we're not. In 1 Corinthians, we learn that we are to deny ourselves, to deny acting like and desiring the things the men of this world desire. In 1 Corinthians, we read Paul patiently instructing believers on avoiding sexual sin, on instruction on marriage and the family, instruction on proper worship, unity among believers, spiritual gifts, and the promises of God. He offers teachings that go against the lie that was being spread that the, they had somehow missed the resurrection of Jesus. And then he goes further and offers teaching on that final resurrection when we will all be with him. And so the question becomes then, as we go through 1 Corinthians, how do we apply these teachings to our daily lives? That's the question, right? Always. For all of Scripture, how do we apply this word? And that brings us to our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. To apply Paul's instruction, to really apply any of the teachings of Scripture, we must first reject the wisdom of this world. That's what Paul's saying right there. We must first reject the wisdom of this world. We must reject the temptation toward fostering the attitude that I must accomplish the work of my faith. Oh, aren't we there though, right? Come on now, let's be honest today. Isn't it a struggle daily that fighting the will to say, oh, it's I have to do this. I have to work this faith. I have to accomplish this. I have to be the one that brings myself over the finish line. That's what the world would have us believe. Man, that song we just sang, that hymn, that beautiful, lovely hymn, and thank you, worship team. I, I failed to thank you, but thank you for your offering, your sacrifice of praise. It's Jesus that lives in us. It's him who accomplishes this work. We must develop a proper understanding of our place in the working of God in our lives and the lives of those around us. In so doing, we will be able to rest our faith in the word of God and the power of his spirit. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. The very foundation, the very beginning of it all. 
Hence the title of this message. Faith rests not with persuasive words, but with the power of God. That's where my faith rests. That's where, that's where my, the foundation is. Without the word of God, without the power of God, then my faith is nothing. One of the most challenging issues in the body of Christ today is having our attitudes and our actions line up with what we declare to believe. Hear that now. That's the most challenging thing we have to deal with. It is time we ask ourselves a serious question. Do our lives match our message? Does the way we respond to the daily hindrances line up with what we say we believe? Or in other words, do we practice what we preach? One Corinthians two verse one, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Why? Why is Paul emphasizing this? Why is he making this plain to us? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. It's folly. When I read this, I, the, the Greek came to my mind, NRK, in hologos, kai hologos, in prostantheon. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And here... For the word of the cross, the word of the cross, that's hologos, the word on the tree. So, you know, the word of the cross, whenever we think of this, we might think the cross, the sacrifice, the, the, the execution, rightly so. But it's also the word, it's, it's Christ on the cross. The world looks at Christ as folly. The world looks at the execution. You know, and another way to render that is the word of the method of execution. That's what it's talking about. And the world, to the world, it's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is where our faith rests. This is why Paul emphasizes, look, I didn't come trying to, to make it something it's not. Christ had to die for our sins. We, we don't need to try to make it pretty. We don't need to try to make it something it's not. We don't need to beat around the bush with it because we know that to the world it's already foolishness. And if we try to make it something it's not, then we rob it of all its power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, listen to this, this is verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know. The wisdom of the world will never lead men to God. 
That's what he's saying there. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Because it doesn't matter how wonderful your oration. It doesn't matter the degree and depth of your intellect. For indeed, the Jews ask for signs and to the Gentile and Greeks search for wisdom. The Jews, they just wanted some signs. They show me, prove to me. And then the Greeks over here, they all they want to do is spend their time philosophizing. Look at the existential crisis that the world faces today, and that's where philosophy ultimately brings us. If you want a good study on it, go to uh, Francis Schaeffer, How Then Shall We Live? And he'll, he'll walk you from ancient days to modern days and show you how society functions through art and politics and philosophy and ultimately ends up at its own depravity. We preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It took me a while to realize if I'm standing up here, if I'm standing face to face, if I'm presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's my responsibility. But the way the person responds, that's their responsibility. Right? You know, as, as witnesses of the gospel... The Lord uses us two different ways. When we present the gospel to someone, when the Holy Spirit moves on us to present the gospel to someone, he's presenting that, he's presenting that opportunity for either salvation or judgment. That's the two responses. They're either going to receive Christ or they're going to receive judgment. In chapter 2, verse 4, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. What good would that be? It has to be the power of God. But they were in demonstration of the spirit and of power. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. You know, this is not just a... Um, evangelical or a witnessing message i'm not just talking about witnessing to the lost we must apply this principle to our daily lives we must apply this to allow our faith to rest in the power of god because if we're not thinking of it this way then we're thinking of it wrong if we're not thinking of it this way, if it's not Christ in us, if it's not all wholly the power of God, then it's something to do with ourselves. And that's where we go astray. That's where we begin to fall back into the wisdom of the world. There was no need for Paul to attempt to dress up the gospel, which also meant that Paul did not have to become someone he was not to present the gospel. I'm just an old country boy. 
I'm not trying to be anything other than what I am. I read a lot of theology. I read a lot of Puritan literature. I read a lot. And I think sometimes, wow, man, maybe I should incorporate that language more directly in my, into my scripture. But, but then that's pushing to become someone I'm not. You know, one of the things in my preaching, and at first I was kind of like, oh, no. <laughs> but someone come up to me and said, I love the way you preach because the way you bring it out, even a little kid can understand it. And I thought, wow, am, am I being too simplistic? But then I began to mature and realize, thank you, Lord. Let it be simple speech. Let it be something a child can understand. Because if I'm up here and I'm just multiplying words and you don't understand what I'm saying, then what good is it to you? Because it is the power of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2.5 Your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. When we come to Christ and receive his salvation, everything changes. This is what you need to hear. Everything changes. Think about it. When you came to Christ, your life changed. You changed. Your desires changed. Your wants changed. Your attitude changed. Your ability to love changed. We're formerly dead, but now alive in Christ, yet consequently dead to sin in the world. This is a work of God, not of men. And I hope it doesn't you know, weary you, but I love the word of God and I want to look more at the word of God. So in that statement, I have to go to Ephesians chapter 2 and read, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formally lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. We are his workmanship. That's where we are. That's the truth. That's what the gospel is saying. That's why Paul doesn't dress it up, doesn't hide it in philosophy, doesn't try to convince men with, with floral language. We must begin at the cross. Why? Because it's not a work of ours. It's Christ. This does not take place due to cleverly crafted words, nor does it come by man's wisdom or power at all. And this is not limited to just spiritual works. I want us to hear this. Why do you say that, brother? Well, because in Zechariah, we read, Then he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about something physical. He's telling Zerubbabel, you know what? It doesn't matter how many men you have. It doesn't matter the number. It doesn't matter the strength. It doesn't matter the degree of skill. It doesn't matter the amount of ability or the cleverness of anyone doing the work. The temple will only be rebuilt by my spirit. That's what he's saying. Just as we are the temple of the Holy Spirit built by God. This is what we're talking about. I want us to realize that we can rest our faith, what we believe, our lives, our conversation, our walk, our everything, as that song said, can rest in the power of God. We can trust him. He brought us this far. He's going to carry us through. We believe in him. We can look to him. I just went and I prayed with a family yesterday and they're praying for their son. They're so concerned about their son's salvation. And I said, he is able to keep that which we commit unto him. And the mother burst out in tears because she believes it. She believes that that word, we are, he is able to keep. If we commit him, if we commit to him, to God, our cares, if we cast upon him our cares, he is able to work in them. How many today seek solace, hope, and redemption in the vain philosophies of men? How much time and effort is given over to various psychologies that promise solutions if one can only find the answer within? These all fail as they have their root in the tainted source of the wisdom of men, right? We're fallen. We're fallen if I look into myself. Oh, I can find the answer in myself. How? I am shaped in iniquity, born in sin. There's no good in me. The wisdom of man, the wisdom of this world demands that we produce our own happiness, our own successes. Here's some of it. If I can only get enough, fill in the blank, I will be happy. Isn't that what we're taught? Isn't that what we hear? Oh, if I can only get that promotion, I'll be happy. If I can only get just a little bit more money, I'll be happy. If I can only get the bigger house, I'll be happy. If I can only get the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the, if I only had the perfect children, I'd be happy. Deuteronomy 33 tells us only those saved by God are happy. Here's another one. It's all in having a positive attitude. Right? I, I kind of have an affinity for older music and you remember that one song uh, you have to accentuate the positive eliminate the negative no <laughs> we can put our heads in the sand all we want but the problem's still there Proverbs 14 says there is a way which seems right to a man but its end is the way of death how's that for positive 
I could think I'm doing okay all day and be on the broad way to destruction. Oh, here's another one. This will probably resonate with some of you. It's all in a positive work ethic. God's election is by his choice, not by man's work, Romans 9. I'm not trying to you know, be coy here or snide or anything like that. I want us to understand that the world's wisdom is foolishness. It is. And then God's wisdom appears to be foolish, but it is the saving wisdom. Here's another one that the world says, if we can just get everyone on board, we can make this work. Right? These aren't unfamiliar to us. If I can only, if only I can tap into my unconsciousness. You know, because it's the unconscious that drives all, all of my problems. Something that happened when I was a child, maybe. Well, you know what? I want to I assure you, don't worry. Your unconscious heart is just as wicked as your conscious heart. Jeremiah 17, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Corinthians of Paul's day were driven by the desires of their sinful hearts. Their lives became a constant striving to satiate their lust. Here are their lust, food, security, sex, power, authority, prestige, instant gratification. Is it any different than today? The problem became that the church of Corinth let these same concepts and sins into their midst. They did. That's why Paul has to go through and instruct them. No, this is how you do it. This is how you have a loving marriage. This is how you worship. This is how you come together in the Lord's Supper. And I worry about us sometimes, the church today. Because we, we may not have those things so blatant, but they are. They're there. But we also have our planning committees, our polls, our marketing schemes, our productions, our programs. All because so, somehow we lost the power of God. Our faith rests in the power of God. And when that power is diminished, what do we have? Well, let's dress it up. Let's get some planning committees. Let's start this program. That's the same thing as let's use really floral language. Let's, let's introduce some philosophy. We must not forget the only hope we have of overcoming in this life is to rest our faith in the power of God. Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. What was the demonstration? What was the application? Paul came proclaiming the testimony of God, right? 1 Corinthians 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the power of God. John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life. You know, one day it clicked in my mind. What are we going to do in heaven? What are we going to do in eternity? We're going to get to know God because of this verse right here. 
That is eternal life to know God. And further, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He came in weakness. He came in fear. He came in trembling. What? What kind of witness is this? I'm looking for a strong person. I'm looking for a powerful, intelligent person. I'm looking for someone that can wow me with their words, right? Well, I can tell you there's a, there's a character in Revelation chapter 13 that can wow you with his words. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the power of God. It's easy to dismiss the wisdom and philosophies of secular men, right? I mean, we can look, oh, that's, that's the world. But Paul... Is Paul's warning limited to only secular men? I don't think so. I think we can take his warning. If we place our confidence and faith wholly in any man, godly or otherwise, we are allowing for potential disaster. Why? Because even the best of preachers can fail. Even the greatest men of God can fall. That's what scripture tells us. That's why it's so blatantly honest. What? All these great men of God, all these characters in God, they were liars and thieves and murderers. So if we have a favorite preacher and he happens to fall, what happens to our faith? We need to come to it, and I'm getting ready to close. I'm wearing you guys out. We need to come to a place of acceptance in our Christian walk, witness, and worldview. And we need to do this without shame, and we need to do it without reservation. Here it is. We need to declare that God is the destination, plain and simple. We're not in this for any other thing. I'm not even in it for heaven. I'm in it for God. I want to meet him. Secondly, we need to acknowledge that Christ is the entry. Christ is that freeway, right? He said it. I am the way. Christians used to be called the people of the way. God is the destination Christ is the way, and the Holy Spirit is the vehicle, and the Word of God is the road map. There's nothing else. We can't add to it at all. We're, we're told not to add to it at all. Paul come in much fear and weakness and trembling. Why? So Christ would be exalted. The goal is the glory of God and the salvation of men. Paul came in weakness and fear and trembling. How about Paul came witnessing and preaching in humbleness, humility, and he understood the gravity of the message. Knowing the goal, Paul understood the messenger must not be the emphasis God alone must be exalted. Our faith can only rest on the power of God. John the Baptist knew it, John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. Jesus personified it. John 14, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
The Holy Spirit exemplifies it in John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me. See, each time Jesus came as the messenger, John the Baptist came as the messenger, he just made the way, he paved the way for Jesus. Jesus came, he pointed you to God. The Holy Spirit comes, he points you back to Jesus, to God. We then should point to Christ, not ourselves. The wisdom of the world is foolishness. I, I told you, I quoted Proverbs 14, but the wisdom of God saw fit that it should be said twice. Proverbs 16, there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And just, just to quell any kind of thought, Paul certainly could have used superiority of speech. <laughs> he was very intelligent. He could have used persuasive words of wisdom. He had the training and he had the intellect. He, he could argue with the philosophers at Athens. He, he even quoted from their philosophy. He understood it. But he chose rather to rest his faith in the power of God. And I close with 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let our faith rest there. Father, I have delivered your word in all my weakness and all my frailty, Lord. All my shortcomings, God. And I pray that it go forth and work your will. It's because it's not me. It's you. It's your word. It's your spirit. Oh, let it find good ground. Let it find purchase in that ground and let it grow, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.